Hello, this is Christy Bates of Oxford, Mississippi, welcoming you to this episode of the Deep South Dharma podcast, being released Sunday, March 22nd, 2020. Our topic this week is Through a Larger Frame. The teachings of the Buddha do give us a larger frame that can help us have some understanding even when dealing with a pandemic like COVID-19. So we'll turn our attention to that in just a moment. The only announcements I have this time, I have one announcement and one unannouncement for now. Um, The announcement is really just a reminder that the Oxford Practice Group will be taking our Saturday morning meeting online regularly for for the foreseeable future. Um, Beginning Saturday, March 28th, we're going to be meeting from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Central Time, as we always do. But we will be meeting via Zoom conference, Zoom meeting. And so what you'll want to do is make sure you have your free Zoom account and then you'll be able to just join us through the link on our website, deepsouthdharma.org. And then the unannouncement or really more of a pause on an announcement is uh, previously I talked about the retreat that I'll be doing at Heartwood Refuge in September. That may still happen in September, but there is a possibility it'll get moved to November. So watch our website uh, for updates to that. Or if you want to be sure that you get the updates when I have them, you can go to deepsouthdharma.org to subscribe to get the occasional uh, update from me. So that's it, by the way, of announcements. And we will um, turn our attention now to seeing things through a larger frame. This topic on seeing through a larger frame is an excerpt from the online retreat that I did yesterday called In Harmony with Reality. I am recording the excerpt um, instead of using live recording because I wanted to offer the people who attended the retreat just a confidential space to share questions or reflections as everyone is going through the COVID pandemic right now. But I wanted to offer you um, this topic because I do believe that the core instruction in that retreat offers us um, a larger frame through which to be able to begin to come to grips with what we're facing right now. And so we'll start out with the fact that the issue for us as human beings is that perception colors everything. Our perception is our felt experience of life through eyes, ears, nose, mouth, taste, touch, and cognition. And um, living according to all of the conditionality created by these six sense gates 
our perceptions are not going to be in line with reality. Um, the because we tend to rather than being with what is going on in the senses in the present moment, taking in the information there, staying open to other information that may go beyond our world of conceptual conceptual thought, we tend to get a little bit of uh, contact with something and based on whether we like or dislike it or miss it completely if it's neutral, we we pull up this memory, this perception based on previous experience. And so when we are facing things in life that are happening that are completely new for us, it takes it can take us a while to catch up. And that sense of being out of line with reality is really actually painful and stressful. Um, some even say, uh, you know, especially those of you that have maybe been in 12-step rooms, you've heard the saying that we have a disease of perception or a dis-ease of perception. And um, one of the things that I really enjoyed in running across this teaching on the Buddha's teaching on four hallucinations of perception is it helped give some clarity to what is meant by that saying. Um, So to say that we have a dis-ease or a disease of perception means that we perceive mistakenly in ways that cause us to suffer mental or emotional anguish despite what we may know intellectually. And so what I mean by that, and of course we'll have further examples as we go along, but one of the things I mean by that is that, of course, we may know intellectually that everyone dies. We may know that intellectually. Our perceptual experience, our felt emotional experience of that, however, is going to be heavily affected by how, by the degree to which we actually live in reality. So we have the intellectual knowledge that people die. And if we are living, if we're living fully in reality, when someone dies, what we experience is the pain of the loss, the pain of the change. That is natural. Um, That's, that is, we are not saying that, oh, if one could live in absolute harmony with reality, there would be no pain. That there's no being in a human form without feeling a level of stress or sorrow or pain when there is loss. But what we do know is that adding layers of suffering come from these extra beliefs that we have beliefs like, oh, that shouldn't have happened, or that person shouldn't have died before me, or they, that, that sort of thing. And so what we may know intellectually is not a lot of help to us if, if that's not our day-to-day actual experience. So we're going to talk about making ourselves aware of the, if we think about our perception as the glasses that we wear, 
how are our glasses colored? How does our practice help clear up those glasses so that when we encounter uh, reality, we suffer less with it? So the first, um, the first sort of basic misperception that comes as part of being human is that we mistake what is impermanent to be permanent or as if it should be permanent. So this, the example I just gave come, comes from this, right? We mistake what is impermanent to be permanent or as if it should be permanent. Um, if we are believing that something should be permanent, that this person should have lasted longer, all of that, we really are not fully living with the full awareness of the impermanence and the instability of our conditioned experience. This misperception that things should be permanent or are permanent causes us extra layers of hurt. So this misperception actually hurts us, right? The actual loss hurts us enough already. But then, and of course, this doesn't apply only toward um, people dying, pets dying, other, other beloved creatures dying. This also has to do with the impermanence of social structures, the impermanence of the ways that we have done things as a society. What we're living in right now is seeing major changes that are coming about or will end up having to come about because of the fact that our structures are not equipped to meet the moment that we're in right now. So if we can allow ourselves to be fully fully aware to the deepest levels, and if we can allow ourselves to come into contact with that awareness, even if it's, you know, one of my teachers talks about that sometimes we can't tolerate just rubbing our noses in reality for, you know, hours at a time, we may have to just really let ourselves be with something for a few minutes and then sort of pendulate, you know, come out of that, relax in those places that we can experience a sense of well-being, a sense of right this moment, I'm okay, right? We can be aware that things are impermanent. Look at that. My mood goes up and down. My breath goes up and down, whatever it may be. We allow ourselves to really see impermanence, and then we come back and touch into, and in this moment, I'm okay, is one way to work with that. Secondly, a second basic misperception is that we mistake what is merely attractive as being good or beautiful. And really what I, I add the word automatically, we mistake what is merely attractive as being automatically good or beautiful. Because of course, there can be situations or people that are both attractive and good. They're both attractive and beautiful, right? In the sense of, you know, when we talk in Buddhism about a beautiful human being, we are talking about a human being that has qualities of goodness. So the misperception that what is attractive is automatically good is a, it's a misperception that in, actually endangers us. And this doesn't mean that we should assume that what is attractive is not good. It means we need to get some more information. Um, I, there was a young adult man who ha had a, made a really 
sharp comment when I was talking about this particular misperception in a group setting. And he said, he just kind of had this moment of sitting up straighter and his eyes widening. And he said, oh yeah, because in our society, if someone is attractive, we actually call them good looking. And that was really insightful. And I told him I would be telling that story of him saying that probably for the rest of my life, because it really does encapsulate how much that bias exists in our perception as human beings, that what is attractive is called good looking. So that's the second one. The third misperception is that we mistake mere pleasure for happiness. Now, again, one of the things that the Buddha learned and a a major part of his awakening was learning that he did not have to fear wholesome pleasures, that there are pleasures that actually are genuine happiness. There are pleasures that lead to further happiness. But again, we can't make that mistake, or actually we do make that mistake, of mistaking what is pleasurable as being happiness or as automatically leading to happiness. And this misperception entraps us. This is what we see in the experience of addiction of all sorts, is that even if we know better intellectually, something in us leans into the pleasure that that acting out, behaving, ingesting, whatever, something that we're addicted to, as if it was going to make us happier, lead to happiness. And so recognizing, um, seeing through that misperception um, is, is what is involved in freeing us. This is why, what, whether people work a 12-step program or a Buddhist recovery program of some sort, there is all of this attention spent on really looking at what the addictions, compulsions, attachments have cost us, what chaos have they created. Um, Again, it's just about really seeing it for what it is that, oh, this thing that was pleasurable maybe, um, or at least maybe in the beginning was pleasurable, was not happiness. Even then was not happiness and does not lead to happiness. Fourthly, Mm -hmm. The fourth basic misperception that is often taught is we mistake what is not self or not personal as being personal, as being self. And this misperception deludes us. It deludes us into thinking that we have more control over things that we do uh, than we do. It deludes us into thinking that we have no power in places where we do have power to make a difference. in our, in our, particularly in our own states of mind. So this one sort of, you know, is, is a basis for, for all of the related suffering. So again, the idea is that clear seeing, clear perception helps bring us into harmony with reality, right? The more that we can see clearly, the more that we work to clear up our perception, 
this sort of allows us to organically let go of attitudes and actions that we have mistaken and the suffering that they cause. And meditation practiced regularly aids in clearing our perception. So this is one of the reasons that that there is such an importance placed on meditation. The change that we experience is both gradual and it's exponentially faster than the clarity that we would get without regular practice. Now, there are, at least in my current understanding, four categories of meditation practice. There's all, there's many, many, many more types of, uh, there are many, many practices of meditation. But category-wise, there are four categories of meditation practice. Right? There's a category that is referred to as concentration practice, in which um, the idea is being able to train the awareness, to train the attention, to sort of uh, land, to be in one place, to be in one place, to receive what is there to receive. So that's an aspect. There is a practice uh, or a category of practice called inquiry. And so in these, this is sort of when we think about somebody being in contemplation, the practice of inquiry, um, contemplation is not about just sitting around thinking about things. We, we do that by default, um, and it is, that is not um, a meditation practice. But in contemplative, when we are con- uh, contemplating things, often we are in this process of inquiry. Um, we are asking ourselves questions. We're seeing what's happening and asking follow-up questions. Noticing, you know, part of the Buddha, for instance, awakening to the fact that there is such a thing as wholesome pleasure. Um, when he's describing that, you see this beautiful, um, really sort of conversation he's having with himself about, you know, why should I be afraid of those pleasures that don't cause any harm? Why should I be afraid of those pleasures that bring an end to suffering? Um, And then he answers himself and says, well, I don't need to be afraid of that. So this gave him, began to give him, um, or not began, but just began the next phase of his um, awakening. There is a category of meditation practice that might be called heartfulness or heart practices. These are um, typically taught as the Brahma Viharas, the divine abidings, meta practice, meaning goodwill or loving kindness practice, uh, practices of karuna or compassion practice, mudita, meaning anything translated as anything from gratitude practice to the practice of cultivating joy, to to altruistic joy. And then the um, fourth traditionally taught uh, is a practice of equanimity. And then some people consider uh, under the category of heartfulness, they have developed um, forgiveness meditations, that kind of thing, that also they place in that category of heartful practice. And then, of course, there's the practice of mindfulness. And mindfulness as a practice is 
undertaken both through, not both, through sitting meditation, walking meditation, uh, standing, or lying down. Essentially, mindfulness is this practice that can be exercised under any circumstances. Um, Our formal practice, by formal practice meaning we are deliberately engaged in mindfulness for more than a couple of minutes at a time, as one of my teachers will say, um, can be also can be sitting, standing, walking, lying down. But very often we have to start with stillness. It's almost like in practicing mindfulness, we develop some stillness. It's almost like we are holding a cup of water, and in our practice, we allow that cup to be filled with water. And then we practice moving into our lives and carrying that water without spilling it as much as possible. I find that a useful way to think of it. Now, all four of these categories have tremendous benefit and have their uses. But when we're talking about what helps us see through misperception, it is mindfulness that is sort of the basis of all of it. Mindfulness that allows us to see things as they are right now on a moment by moment by moment basis. So that over time, our perceptions are trained so that they are in line with reality. You know, if you come back to the present moment again and again and again, you will see, oh, yes, this is changing, that's changing, that changed, this is changing. After a while, you start to see, oh, it is only natural that things constantly change. And it begins to feel less like an insult or like something personal or like something that shouldn't have happened. So the more that this occurs, the more you reduce the stress and friction that you may experience between your perception and reality. So again, I want to just restate briefly these misperceptions, and then I want to invite you to maybe choose one to be aware of this week as you go through your life, as you are in your meditation practice, and also to notice how, whichever one of these you choose, how is this current pandemic challenging this misperception? So again, the four basic ones are, one, we mistake what is impermanent to be permanent, or as if it should be permanent. Two, we mistake what is merely attractive as being automatically good or beautiful. Three, we mistake mere pleasure for happiness. Four, we mistake what is not personal not self, as being personal, as being self. So working with that over the next week, or however long you choose to, maybe choosing one of these, you may want to do one, a different one each day. However you want to work with it, taking a look at how is this current situation challenging your perception. And part of what I hope this helps you to do is to recognize that this fear and experience that many of us are having of, oh my gosh, the whole world is falling apart, 
I hope this can help you recognize it's not the world that's falling apart. Our perceptions and our ideas about how things work and what we can count on is what's falling apart. The world is just doing what it does. Let's just give ourselves a minute to let that settle. A reminder and an expression of gratitude. The Deep South Dharma podcast is supported not by any commercial endeavors, but by the generosity of some of its listeners. People are generous in listening to the podcast, in sharing it with friends, in offering me feedback or topics that you would like to have discussed or your questions. And people also have been supporting us through anchor.fm which allows you to do that at the level of 99 cents a month or 4.99 a month or 9.99 a month. So if that's something that you would like to participate in, go to anchor.fm/deepsouthdharma/support. You'll be supporting and inspiring me and also allowing me to devote a little more time to the development of the podcast. And in general, I just want to thank you for your practice, which is good for you, for the world, and leads to peace. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Deep South Dharma Podcast. We hope you'll feel welcome to share this with anyone you think would find it useful. And as always... Feel free to message us your feedback, questions, or topics of interest. Until we meet again, take good care of this body, mind, and heart.